You are now listening to the Two Dads Run podcast. Just two dads who run, talking about running and being dads and some other stuff. All right. Welcome back, everybody. This is Kevin with the Two Dads Run podcast. And this is Gray. So very excited, very excited today. So today I'd like to welcome the co-founder of Live Your Own Fit, uh, co-founder with his wife, Jamil. If, am I saying that correct? Jamil. Jamio. I probably should have asked that earlier, but <laughs> um, which is a nutritional health and performance coaching company. Uh, they also have a, an awesome podcast with some fantastic guests. Uh, this person is a multiple 70.3 Ironman champion. And uh, for those of you that, uh, that have reached out to DeGray and I that are around the same age as, as we are, the 2012 year was a, was a pretty big year for a lot of us, but this is the 2012 Ironman World Champ- Champion, Pete Jacobs. Hello, sir. How are you? Hey, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, guys. Good to chat. So, Pete, again, you know, this is, uh, this is our first time speaking to a guest that's, I believe, we're 14 and some change hours away. If, yeah, yeah, it yeah. could be, yeah. What, what, what <laughs> yeah, time is enough. it where, what, what day and what time is it where you're at? Um, it'll be a day ahead of you guys, so it's Thursday here at, you know, nearly 10.30 in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> well, appreciate you joining us. It's, uh, it is 8.30 here in the evening, and we're still on Wednesday. So, um, again, appreciate <laughs> you joining us uh, this morning, Pete. So, you know, we, um, w- you know, we, we talked earlier, and, and Gray and I, we've, we've been getting into, back into triathlon, back into endurance running, and and one of the things that we love to hear is the people that have done it for such a long period of time have done it so well and uh, really kind of wanted to talk to you as far as, you know, how, how, how did you get into triathlon? How did you get up onto the world stages and then not only on the world stages, but how did you eventually start to, to kick some butt across the world? So um, I got into it naturally. I was naturally better at endurance in high school. Couldn't, couldn't run track and sprint to save my life, but cross country each year, I'd, I'd do really well with minimal training. Um, I'd swum since I was little and I guess I had a good aerobic base. So probably around the age of around 18, that was when I was like, Oh, hey, well I'll do this sport as my main sport and give it a, give it a bit of uh, focus. And probably two years later, I did my first full Ironman and did that and was like, yeah, this is, I want to be world champ at this. And it wasn't, it wasn't so much, I want to be world champ at this. It was, I reckon, I believe that one day I could be the best in the world. It was just that instinct within me after my first Ironman, I was 20 years old and it was, it's still one of the best races that I've ever done as an Ironman. Like it just felt perfect all the way through. I did exactly the time that I wanted to do. Um, and just loved it. And then from there on, it was, you know, a 10-year journey to, to make, it, make it happen. And there was a lot of, lot of changes in there. Um, so I guess going through that, yeah, top. Then, what, two years later, I became a professional. So I was only in my early 20s when I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to do this full time. And never done ITU stuff, always just been in Ironman, long course, endurance. And... Yeah, started doing Ironmans and, you know, then it was probably, what was it, 2009 um, when I went top 10 in Hawaii for the first time, then top 10 again the next year, second in 11. And that was when there was a real shift from, hey, I believe that one day I can be the best in the world at this. 
And I suddenly was like, no, I want to be best in the world at this. And I started committing more and just tick those boxes that little bit more each, each day. Um, and had that focus for a year of, you know, no longer do I just think it's going to fall in my lap one day because I'm, I'm naturally gifted. It was like, no, I need to want this and made it happen. Well, that's awesome. man. I mean, even still now, um, your home country t- tends to just produce just the, the, the world's best athletes. So when you're coming up, so tell me about like the training, who, who did you connect with, with training? And, and I mean, at that time you had, you know, Alexander, you had, uh, you know, you had Maca and I mean, they were, they're also, I would say they were, you know, still somewhat in their prime and then you, you coming up. So how, um, you know, how did you, who helped you, I guess, get to that elite level and, and what type of programs like got you to that point where it's like, yeah, this can actually happen. Um, I was, I was following a run program out of a book. So that's, uh, that's about as strict as I got with, you know, following a program. Um, I didn't have a coach writing me sessions. I had a mentor that would give me, you know, metaphors and a bit of support, but, um, and then in the last kind of month I did two big sessions with his squad, which are like long time trials on the bike with a run off the bike. So there was, that was the only time I trained with anyone was those two key sessions, um, in the last month before the race, the rest of the time I was on my own. I could have been in any country to be honest and training, you know, anywhere, um, I just happened to be Australian. So it's, it's not that Australia produced, you know, that run of athletes in, in for me, because I'd, I'd come from straight into it on my own, straight into long course, straight into training on my own. It was great that I had these guys to, you know, see at the races and we were buddies. Um, but yeah, I never had that, uh, I didn't have a mentor that was a professional athlete. I didn't have coaching from anyone in that regard. I just went out there and went by feel and um, just got to know my body. That's probably why it took 10 years, but I don't think, I don't think I could have made it any quicker um, just with my own personal circumstances of always having trouble with my health issues and fatigue issues. That's why I needed to do it at my pace. I needed to, um, go by feel in my training and, you know, I really learn over that time all about myself, which is now paying off. And, uh, now that I'm coaching other people in health and performance, but you know, that started that, that, that passion in my mind of like, how do I do this? What am I doing? Why am I doing it? And all those sorts of questions, um, that I was able to, you know, figure out on my own, uh, to become world champion. And now I can go back and, and now that I'm actually learning, I guess, some of the science, but also some of the, the bigger picture of it all, I'm able to look back at what I was doing naturally back then and really like put names and feelings and uh, everything to it and, and figure out all the connections as to why it worked, um, even though back then it was more just going on instinct. So can you, can you tell us a little bit about this process? So you mentioned that, you know, it was kind of 10 years in the making. It was, it was a lot of kind of sounds like trial and error, so to speak. So what was that process and, and how were you able to identify, Hey, this is working. Okay. Maybe this isn't. And, and kind of how you structured all of that together. Um, yeah, that, that long process was dealing with fatigue. So anytime I trained too much, did some overtraining, um, I would, 
I would have this fatigue and not be able to move and my body wouldn't produce energy and I just felt really flattened down and all of those sorts of things. And I had to learn to to deal with ego. So basically I was able to just cancel ego out over this course of 10 years um, and that's been one of the biggest learnings that I've that I've can take away from that time is, you know, it didn't matter that I was getting dropped from other training sessions when, you know, in the off season, I would be riding with other people and doing things and I'd still be experiencing times where I couldn't keep up with athletes that I'm much better than on race day. But on that particular day, I wouldn't even keep up with like a, a, a guy that rides his bike twice a week. Um, but I didn't bother me. So that's where ego just totally being able to control my ego really helped with that process. Um, the other sorts of trial and error were, like I said, I followed a, a run training book for, you know, maybe it was two or three years, this program out of the back of a book. And so the process of uh, a weekly schedule that I didn't have to think about, so there was no thinking, I listened to instinct and did less if, uh, if I couldn't do that fully. But the no thinking and just taking thinking out of my weekly process. Cause I did train on my own for those three months leading to Kona. You know, I was just like a monk and, uh, and I love that. I love that sacrifice. I loved that. I was doing, I loved that I was doing it on my own and it was up to me. Um, so not, you know, if I was training with someone and someone else relied on me, like, okay, we're going to meet here at this time. And this is how it went like in my build up to Kona. For me, that wouldn't work because I would have days where I'd get out the door and I would have fatigue in me. And for me, that meant I couldn't actually get my heart rate up. I would go lactic like really early on. And if I'd been riding and training with someone else, that would have been a problem because I would have pushed harder than my instinct was telling me. So on those days, I might take longer to get going in the morning and then I might decide, hey, I'm just going to sit on the wind trainer and ride at 160 watts for a few hours. I'm not going to go do hills and do a hard five-hour sort of session out on the TT bike like you know I normally would have. And that worked, just finding that balance of how far I could push my body without falling into the fatigue, getting to know recovery, um, how long it would take me. Uh, and, yeah, the key, the, one of the key things was turning that weakness of fatigue into my strength where – I embraced the fact that I couldn't train as much as other people were doing as many hours as I knew that they'd be doing. And I just did my own thing. That's awesome. And as far as like the story behind the story and, and, you know, for people to hear that an Ironman world champion actually was able to, to self coach, but then able to, for a long time, be able to get that coaching from a book. So I'll ask, do you remember <laughs> the name of the book and the author? Yeah, yeah, it was, it was brain training for runners. And I think it was Matt Fitzgerald. Um, Solid guy, yeah. Yeah, so in that, there's there's some awesome cues for technique and, and all of those sorts of cues. Then there's um, lots of good information. Then there's programs. And then in the back of the book, there's a really good breakdown of if this is your goal marathon time, then this is what session, you know, if, I, if the session says run this at your 5K pace, then you go to the back of the book and you've got your set times and this is your 5k pace. So that's what you run that session at. And again, it took the thinking out of it. I'd been doing it for a couple of years. So I knew that I could do it. I knew that it, that it worked. Um, and 
I was going to say something else about that. Um, yeah, my goal pace. So my goal pace, I targeted a 238 marathon was my goal pace. My quickest in Hawaii was in, in well, in 2010, I ran a 242. In 2011, a 241. Um, the year that I won, I only ran a 247 or something like that because, I mean, I wasn't under pressure, so I didn't have to, you know, really dig that deep. Um, and I also went harder on the bike, so the run was a little slower. Um, but I find that quite interesting that, you know, that that was the goal pace that I was working towards, um, and that's what I did my long runs at. And then, like I say, everything worked backwards from that for shorter efforts, tempo efforts. Um, yeah, and, and, the, and it worked. And I probably held myself a little too strict to the book um, and – could have listened to my body a slightly more um, nowadays and, and back it off a little bit more because now that I understand a bit more about aerobic base, about, you know, you know, those anaerobic energy production and the, and the issues that can come from that, like injuries and overtraining, you know, I'd probably, you know, just, just temper, temper some of those run sessions a little bit. Cause that was really the only place where I, I pushed in training. My bike rides were just long and aerobic and at basically race effort. So I was just focused. I'd ride steady up the hills. I'd ride steady down the hills and just keep the pressure on the whole ride um, as I could. I was on my own, in my own little world. And swimming, I would swim on my own as well, uh, up and down the lanes on my own, in my own zone, finding that perfect spot which looking back now, I was basically at that perfect place of math, maximum aerobic function. And I just instinctively fell into that. So you're clearly an athlete that's very, very in tune with your body and, and very um, adept at listening to what your body, body is telling you. But was there any data piece? Were you, were you tracking, you know, do you have logs of mileage and time spent on the run or uh, the run sounds like it was a little more structured, but on the bike or on the swim, did you keep track of all that stuff or was it all by feel? Um, I, I think there was times when I kept track of it. I've never been one for writing every session down or making notes of it and all of that. There's some sessions I think maybe still back in training peaks, and I may have an old diary here and there from certain periods, but I certainly wouldn't have tracked everything. But I did have, I believe I did have cadence and wattage, particularly in 2012. But in training, I don't think I really followed it much at all. I wasn't going out to train at a set wattage. I was going out to train to feel. Um, and, you know, it just so happens that what I trained at looking back is what exactly I, I raced harder than that. But, you know, comparatively that, you know, I listened to, um, a podcast that, uh, oh, what's that coach, the guy that started training peaks actually, um, Joel, Joel, Joe Friel. Um, and he spoke about me after he'd seen my wattage output from Kona because, you know, SRAM and Quark did a little presentation a couple of days after, after 2012 race and they looked through my data and from that he could, he could see that, yes, the data that I would have, that I put out on race day on the bike would have been pretty much, I think it was like, you know, whatever percentage was spot on what I was doing, would have been doing in training. And I, and I backed that up. So he guessed it without even knowing what I'd done in training, 
that I would back that up, that yes, that is what I would have done in training just by feel. And that's, that's great. So by the way, that, that same year was my first Ironman 2012 in Louisville. And it was a Matt Fitzgerald book that I forget which one it was, but it's very similar where it's got all the training plans and then the breakdown with all the, the, the acronyms. And so that, that's just, that's really neat to hear. So after, so let's fast forward a little bit. So 2012 Ironman world champion. And then the story afterwards, because I think that's very important too, because everything's been on feel um, with you being in tune with the body, but then, you know, then the sport, and then it started to take a turn for yourself. So a very, very, you know, very interesting story. So after 2012, and then we'll just say, you know, leading up to, to today where you've got this awesome business mm-hmm. with your wife, you, you've got, you know, fantastic podcast. So, so what happened post 2012 and then what were some of the learning lessons after that? Yeah, well, well, with everything in health, as you get older, things increase and get will get harder to manage, I guess, if you're not aware of what's happening. I mean, in health, you're either going in a positive cycle and everything is getting better or you're in a negative cycle because one negative thing will impact the next negative thing. It's, it's not like, you know, just a little bit of stress one day and you get over it. It's like, you know, that little bit of stress then inhibits your aerobic capacity the next day. And then if you keep training on top of that inhibited aerobic capacity, then there's more stress. And then your nervous system fires up because you're then getting anxious about not training well and that it's hurting. And then you eat badly because you're tired. And so there's so many factors. So I, I didn't know what was going on. I hadn't for, for a decade or more, I'd been trying to figure out and see all these different people. Why do I feel this fatigue? And Um, I can happily say now I could explain it to anybody. It just takes, it can take a little while, but it has a lot to do with aerobic capacity is the main thing. And that food, sleep, lifestyle, um, all of these factors and the way that you train and the way that you breathe all have massive impacts on aerobic capacity. And that has the underlying reason for most health issues is aerobic capacity and performance issues is aerobic capacity in one way or another. Um, so after 2012, uh, the, the periods of me feeling for that fatigue, uh, just got larger and larger. So I wouldn't bounce back as quickly. So then I, you know, trained, I trained really well up for 2013, one and a half Ironman in, you know, great. One of my best ever races. It was about five weeks out from Hawaii, 2013, but I just had a bit of a back issue, a bit of back tightness in like my lower back near my glutes. And on race day, that just sort of seized up a bit. I lost power and, um, you know, it was just a struggle in 2013 just to finish. Um, I kept plugging away. You know, I had my five-year window where I just had to validate to keep getting back to Kona. So I just kind of kept plugging away thinking, okay, well, I've just got to keep learning, keep trying. And I just kept doing that. And um, there were things I learned along there. And I thought I was getting better. I was speaking to really smart guys like Phil Maffetone. Um, but I couldn't get that consistency back. And I had a shocker in 2017 at, um, I think Ironman Bustleton. And that was it. I was like, right, I'm taking 20,000, 2018 completely off until I figure this out. And I thought I'd learned more. I was getting some good, progress, changing my diet. 
Um, and I started just racing 70.3s in 2019 and I was getting some okay races, but certainly nowhere near like peak form or anything. I was just happy to be racing, but I still didn't fully understand how the body works. And it's only been in the last, I would say the last two years, the progress of my understanding of the body has been rapid and to the point where every couple of months I I sort of like, am like, Oh, surely I've learned everything now. I understand it. I get it. I'm, I'm, I, I know, now I know what energy production is, right? What's ATP. I know it. I've got it. Um, I understand. And that's like, I understand the elements. I understand that we're all from stardust and we're all made of stardust and everything on this planet I need in me as well. So vitamin, nutrient, mineral deficiency is a huge one. I've got it. And then I just keep taking another step backward and another step backward and seeing a bigger and bigger and bigger picture. And I feel I'm at the point now where the latest step back. So recently, like let's say the last several months, it has been about energy production. And I was like, right, energy production and how efficiently we can produce energy. I can explain everything just by telling you what you're doing to make energy production either more efficient or less efficient and how that's how that is affecting your health and performance. The next step back has been more recent, which is let's look at everything in terms of oxygen being the key factor that all life on earth needs. Plants and animals need oxygen at the very, very top of the hierarchy. And if we have low levels of oxygen getting into our cells, well, that's what anaerobic energy production is, which you can do by training really, really hard, you will have anaerobic energy production. However, you can also have anaerobic energy production when you're not healthy because, you know, your carbon dioxide tolerance is really low. You've got rapid breathing. You, even if you're exercising, your, your breathing is sort of staying ahead of that carbon dioxide building up. So you're never building that tolerance to carbon dioxide. So you're never increasing levels of oxygen because oxygen and carbon dioxide exchange in and out of the cells at an even level. So there's so many factors that can be inhibiting why and how oxygen is not getting into the cells efficiently, but basically the end result of it all is to perform really well. You need aerobic capacity. You need as big a possible as aerobic capacity, and you also, to be healthy, need as good a possible aerobic capacity also. And if you follow sweat science, um, um, uh, what's his name? He wrote Endure and it is that awesome author. Oh yeah. And, I just read that or I just um, I listened to it on ebook not that long ago. <laughs> yeah. I'm, going, um, I'm drawing a blank too. Yeah. I'm drawing a blank. Anyway, I just read the article again the other day and it was a great article about how there's some research coming that the research shows there's this other known factor of, um, fatigue resistance in performance. And that is the underlying factor of how someone will perform. And they followed, you know, some, have you got the name there now? He's got it in front of him, Kevin. Alex Hutchinson. Yep. Yeah, that's the one. It was going to eat me up alive if we did get that too. Yeah. So Alex Hutchinson, but go ahead. Yeah. He's he's brilliant. And that book Endure is brilliant. I love it. Um, It it combines so many factors of mindset and, and the mental control, how that affects performance. But this other article he'd done was around fatigue resistance being the main factor of performance. It's not 
VO2 max or maximum output for 10 seconds or 30 minutes or FTP, they had some fat variables and obviously influence. However, the people that perform the best fatigued the least. And, and if you just look at, okay, well, what is causing fatigue? Stress is causing fatigue. Stress inhibits energy production and then inhibited energy, energy production produces more stress because you're more anaerobic. So the fatigue resistance means that your aerobic capacity is so great that you can train at a much, much higher output, so higher heart rate, higher energy output, higher demands for energy, and still remain more aerobic than somebody else who maybe has a higher you know, VO2 max or a higher 30-minute FTP, but there's some factors that these people are doing that are increasing their aerobic capacity at that higher output, so stress develops slower. Stress is a byproduct as that like oxidative stress of energy production, it, it, is, it, it increases less if you're more aerobic. Um, so, yeah, it's fascinating that there's studies showing that, you know, data this and data that is not as important as actually fatigue resistance. And it doesn't say it in the article, but if you replace fatigue resistance with aerobic capacity and stress as a byproduct, then it's, you know, it makes complete sense. Well, you've definitely done a lot of homework on the subject. <laughs> and so now, you know, kind of touching back to what Kevin Kevin was talking about earlier, the business that you've started with your wife, mm. was that born strictly out of, you know, this passion that you you found in, in preparing yourself and getting in tune with yourself? And now you want to transition that to training other athletes? Or was this kind of that next logical step for you? And yeah, I don't, you know, necessarily, I, I've learned about you today while I was researching you that you were a landscaper yeah. for a bit. Yeah. Maybe I don't necessarily <laughs> want to go back to landscaping, but I want to, I want to train. I want to make my passion into more of a job and never work. You know, you know, they say you'll never work another day in your life. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely something that I've spent. I feel like I've spent, you know, half my life learning about how the body works. And I learned that through experience and at that highest level. I mean, even the year that I got second, I have so many lessons from that, that I can, tell people about mindset and being in the zone and overcoming pain and all of those factors. And yeah, what I want to do is like not waste all this stuff that I've learned and the understanding. And so I don't want people to go through what I've gone through. And so they aren't performing at their best or feel their best. It's, you know, it's depressive. It's, it's no joy in life. It's having, you know, I didn't want to walk the dogs. I didn't want to go for a surf. I didn't want to exercise. I didn't, I didn't, and I couldn't compete. The competing was even not even close to the radar in those times of feeling so tired. So I don't want anyone else to go through that if I can help prevent it. And yeah, the people that we've been working with, it is helping them and people are getting off all sorts of medications from, you know, depression or anxiety to, you know, blood pressure um, you know, diabetes medications and those sorts of things as well, because yeah, there's so many factors. I mean, health and performance is the exact same thing. It's aerobic capacity, but it's how do we reduce inflammation? How do we get them in a mindset that shifts the way that their body works, the way that they breathe, the way that their hormones respond? Um, so that, you know, like I say that if you're stuck in a cycle of thinking anxious thoughts, then your body 
will respond in a certain way. Your body will use cortisol to keep your blood sugars up, to prevent you from fat burning, to stay anaerobic. You know, it, it all cycles back and all connects. So it's actually, I mean, Jamie was the first one while I was still competing a bit to, to say, okay, here's the business um, and I want to start coaching people. And, you know, we've done a health coaching course through Precure. Um, they're based out of New Zealand. And through that, we actually, I've learned how to take, and we've both done it, but I really learned how to take what I knew and take it into how do I coach someone through a health issue, someone who has these sort of anxieties. How do I approach this without just me, me wanting to just give advice and say, well, here's what I know, here's what you need to go and do, you know, the, the premise of health coaching is be curious and obviously you make no judgments and, you know, and, and it's that simple and just ask questions and go through that process. And I love that I've learned now how to actually talk to people as a health coach instead of, you know, a year ago, it was just, you know, I'm a coach. I can tell you what to do and why to do it, but how do I help you with that behavioral change and how do I talk to you so that, you know, it's a, it's a good process and it, and it works. So, um, yeah, the business is now great. Um, I, I do coach some athletes, um, but I'm getting the, the inquiries that I'm getting are very much around people who, you know, I would say the main people are those that are, um, you know, 40 years or older um, or even 30 years and older, but they've had issues with fatigue or they've had issues with, yeah, not feeling as good as they want to feel. It's, I want to feel better. I want to, you know, have more energy and they're not sure why they've changed. They've tried this diet. They've tried that. They're doing all these different stuff. And, you know, I can just explain stuff to them, um, in, in short, in short little windows. But then if it's somebody who has got like sort of fatigue or something and, and like I had where your mind has become trained to have these kind of anxious thoughts of not feeling good, of being depressed, of those sorts of issues. That's more like a 12-week issue and it would be health coaching for 12 weeks, whereas other people are coming to me, stay for a month, and in that month we're working on your run technique, your breathing techniques, your um, mindset techniques, and I'm giving you some information about health and performance as well. Um, and maybe it's only a month that they just want that so they can just up level their running and performance in a month. So, you know, all different clients and, um, you know, at the moment it's just exciting to be getting these inquiries from all these, you know, different types of people, um, and working with people, people differently. As I said, as a health coach over 12 weeks, I love that process as well, as much as working with someone on their run technique and mindset, um, in a month. So a certified pro cure health coach. So with, is that correct? Pre-cure. Uh, yeah. Pre-cure. Yeah. Excuse me. Thank you. <laughs> so why that one amongst some of the other ones, um, that, that you could have chosen from. So what separates this specific, uh, certification through health, co- health coaching and then some of the other ones? Well, this one, um, I knew this guy, professor Grant Schofield through low carb down under conferences and low carb down under is a worldwide conference, um, organization and they would have been having conferences, you know, once or twice a year in the States, if it wasn't for COVID they had beforehand. So they're based here, but they, they are worldwide. So low carb is definitely a huge part of being more aerobic, you know, high blood sugar and high insulin will lower your aerobic capacity. 
instantly. And if you have high blood sugar for, you know, all day, every day, your aerobic capacity is low all day, every day. Um, so they, that was a big part of it because they understand the, that, that holistic view. Um, his wife, Professor Grant Schofield's wife, Louise, she's a psychologist and has amazing insight into that behavioral change. And, you know, they're just amazing people based out of New Zealand. And, um, yeah, it's, so it was just uh, a great course where we really connected with them, whereas I've heard there are others, you know, there's obviously a lot out of the States, you know, Primal Endurance, I think, have one with Mark Sisson. But I don't connect with those people as much as I do with, um, you know, Precure. They definitely are, they definitely have that, very, very, as anyone that I connect with now, it's very much like they're very smart, but they also will say straight up, I, there's, there's more that I don't know. You know, nowadays as I've learned, you know, as I've learned more, it's actually you're learning what you don't know. Um, so as much as I say, Hey, I believe everything comes back to how much oxygen you can get into your cells and how aerobic you can be. I'm also open to be like, yeah, but if I change, if I get new information and change my mind and knowledge in a year's time or in a week's time, then I will adapt and change as well because I know that this is not definitive. We don't know everything. Um, and that those people, that's what they're like. It's very much, Hey, here's, here's as much as we know now, but there's also a lot that we don't know. Um, whereas some people just are a little bit too, too much, you know, I'm seeing it on Twitter a little bit. It's like, this is, how it is and you know it just doesn't it just doesn't gel yeah, i agree oh, so 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 so, 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 so gray's actually a uh, so he's a gm of a go ahead don't let uh, me so, steal your thunder no 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 so i i was going through your twitter a little bit this afternoon and i actually i'm i run a health food store um and oh, we, yeah. we have a lot of there's even though it's food service, there's quite a few uh, nutrition degrees and things like that. And, you know, mm-hmm. that I work with. So we were kind of, you know, spending some time just checking everything out. I mean, like I said earlier, you've definitely done your homework on this. And um, oh, you saw that I was carnivore and you want to <laughs> take a, <laughs> Oh, that's, that was, was, that was, that was my initial uh, reason for delving into the, uh, <laughs> into the old Twitter feed. But no, I mean, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, the thing about carnivore, or keto or any of, of the other mm. stuff. It was always been, you know, Hey, find what works for you, find what's sustainable for your lifestyle and do that. Um, mm. you know, so it's, I'm really interested, you know, in hearing about, you know, we might know a guy, uh, me that is, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is preparing for, you know, their first race. And we've had some, you know, first, uh, triathlon. And so we've had some friends as well, reach out like, Hey, we're really kind of thinking about doing this, kind of taking that leap into multi-sport, what piece of advice would you pass along to those folks and to me? <laughs> well, uh, it's a very broad category. It is. It is. <laughs> um, yeah. So the one piece of advice, I think, um, uh, you know, taking ego out of it is a, is a big thing. So training, training to take ego out, training to be present is, you know, the, the greatest thing that, that too few people are doing. And so what that means is your ability to just have a quiet mind and that's it, not have any other thoughts and just be present. Um, 
And it starts off with, say, you know, five breaths, either staring, having a thought of gratitude or looking at something that you're grateful for. And you're getting this state of like growth mindset. So you, your posture will improve in those five breaths. You'll stand taller. Your mind will become more quiet. You'll become more confident. Um, those little changes, but you need to practice them. So like, I, like in 2012, I was practicing that with the word love in training of being like present, of reducing my doubts and fears and having that growth mindset. And then, you know, so on race day, I was calm and confident and present. I made all the right decisions. I didn't worry. I didn't get stressed and panic and stuff up and make bad decisions. Um, I was so present that I stopped to do some stretches like at 10K into the run, uh, even though I was still like seven minutes down on first place because I knew that that's what I needed to do to get my body from A to B as quick as possible was release my lower back, do a few quick stretches, be present. Don't be panicked about, I can't stop now. I'm still seven minutes down. I have to keep pushing. I have to keep pushing. I would have, you know, my back would have seized up worse and I wouldn't have probably been able to run as well as I did. So the ability to be present is just something you just got to start out small with and then build on and build on and build on. So that, when it comes to race day, that, that calm, quiet confidence allows you foresight so that you can see before the guy's going to cut you off in the swim. Before his elbow hits your you know, goggles, you see it happening and you move out of the way and you, can, and you can be present. You're more aware of your environment when you're present. And in a race, that's just super important in so many regards to be more aware of your current environment rather than your perceived environment which is, oh my God, you know, I'm panicking. I can't get my breath or this, this is going to be too long or it's going to get too hot. Or as soon as you take yourself out of the present, you know, you don't, you don't make the right decisions in the present. Um, so that's the main thing. Um, but the food thing, yeah, I want to come back to the food thing that you mentioned. Like it's, it's interesting the journey I've been on and like, yeah, I did use carnivore ages ago to, reduce my inflammation through pl- from plants that I was having. Um, and yes, yeah, some people it is going to feel better because plants have heaps of toxins. And in relation to, yeah, it's, is keto right for everyone? Well, I believe everybody should have adaptations to ketosis so that if you wake up in the morning and you don't eat and then you go training and if your blood sugar drops, you don't even notice it because you've got ketones. So the ability to never have those pathways for ketones built at all is really detrimental to your health and performance abilities, right? Because you're 100% reliant on blood sugars and um, therefore you haven't been burning fat. Your fat adaptation is not great enough. Therefore, your aerobic adaptation is not great enough. So let's say you're training like some of these pro athletes like several hours a day and their aerobic capacity is massive. So yeah, they can push their blood sugars up with high glycemic foods, but it's going to come back down really quick and they're not going to have a chronic long-term impact on their aerobic capacity. So it all comes back to aerobic capacity. What are you doing? Is it having an effect on your aerobic capacity? However, those high sugar diets are lower in nutrients and that's where the problems then come in because when you produce energy, it's not just from fat or carbs. It's from vitamins, minerals, proteins, cell rebuildings with proteins, 
um, all of these other factors that like there's so many different layers of why one diet will work for somebody and not work for another and vice versa. And, and if you come back to, yeah, nutrient deficiencies, but also main thing is aerobic capacity baseline. Can you afford to be eating, you know, stuff that's lowering your aerobic capacity X amount? Um, or how much aerobic capacity have you got to give up or how much do you want to improve it and all those sorts of factors. Well, we could go round and round about nutrition. Yeah. I feel like all <laughs> night, but I really love what you were saying about the mindset in terms of, you know, being present and, and putting your ego away. Cause I can tell you that this has been the most humbling athletic endeavor that I've ever undertaken. <laughs> I am not a swimmer. I'm not very good at it. I don't particularly enjoy it. The bike is fine. You know, it's no big deal. And I'm, I've always just been kind of a natural runner so this, this whole swim thing has been uh, quite the humbling uh, you know, task. And so that is one thing that I'm actually working on uh, is, is staying in the moment and trying not to panic because I don't, before, before I started training for this, I didn't even enjoy being wet, like even in the rain. Um, so <laughs> spending a couple of hours a week in the pool is, um, is, is proving to be pretty tough, but... I'm hanging in there like I'll have a I'll have a good day and and that'll kind of keep me going and sometimes that's followed by two bad sessions and to the point yeah. where I'm like I don't know if this is for me maybe I'll just uh, stay running but then I'll have that good session yeah. and it just it just reels me right back in so yeah. definitely that's practicing staying in the moment yeah and the and the other really interesting thing with that again it comes back to oxygen is in the in the swim a lot of people's anxiety will build up because of a physical input as much as a mental input. So if you're breathing every second stroke, so if you only breathe to one side, your breathing rate is quite rapid. And if you increase that stroke rate, so if you have a short stroke, as in you don't look like Michael Phelps, then your stroke rate's quite short. You're breathing really rapidly, almost hyperventilating, which lowers oxygen levels, which your brain will then go, you know what? I'm not comfortable with this. It's like having a low blood sugar in your brain and it's going to panic. Even though you are fine and everything's all good, your brain's going to sense a little bit of a danger and increase that feeling of anxiety. So how you breathe in the pool um, can greatly affect how you feel in the pool. Did you check our Instagram? Did you see my terrible swim form? Is that what's, is that what's happening here? Because I feel I attacked. I feel personally attacked. <laughs> hey, um, that's some free. That's free tips. Free I appreciate tips. it. I'll I'll send you a check in the mail. <laughs> well, that is a funny thing there because you know Gray Graywood message and no, he was pretty vulnerable. He put um, he did put his first swim out there and and no, he he's definitely getting to it. But as you know, we mentioned there's a there's a lot of people that that we've connected with that are literally are truly thinking about hopping in and swimming is the one that the one discipline that's really preventing them to get over that mental hurdle. So if you were, you just talked mm -hmm. a little bit about that. So if somebody's on the, on the podcast or listening to it right now and, and, and literally swimming the swimming portion and they're just fearful of just maybe even learning or getting the pool, what, what is something that you would say as far as, like, hey, look, it's not that bad, or hey, this is where I would begin, or what's maybe some advice you would give uh, to somebody if swimming was the only thing that's preventing them getting into something like triathlon right now? Um, flippers, flippers are great. Um, 
you know, swimming is one one of those things where if you haven't got a feel for the water, it's quite difficult to get that feel for the water where you feel that you're grabbing against something solid and pulling and you're, it's like, you know, it would be like, you know, the difference between someone who's a good swimmer is like somebody who's standing on earth and their feet are pushing against something. However, a bad swimmer, it would be like they're standing on the moon where they're not feeling the ground as much. Gravity's not as much. They're kind of floating and they can't feel that they're pushing against anything. So flippers help with momentum so that you can actually move at a pace that's quick enough to get over the top of the water with your catch a little bit. Otherwise, it's like you're, you know, standing still. Any, even a good swimmer, if they're just fly, floating in the water and not moving and then start to swim, those first few strokes feel like you've got no feel for the water because you haven't got momentum to kind of help you know, it, it increases the ability for you to push against something. So flippers are great to get that feel for the water. So the main things are, you know, rhythm, technique, and streamlining. And so rhythms are great, a big part of it. Um, techniques a big part of it. And then being streamlined is another big part of it. And I feel, yeah, flippers are the best hack to kind of start learning about all of that stuff. And then at the same time, you know, having someone feedback on your technique, um, that, that really helps as well. Um, which I, I do do over, you know, some videos and, um, yeah, but otherwise, yeah, control your breathing. So you don't get that physical influence on your anxiety. And I don't know, one other thing would be, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Just, just learning to breathe, learning maybe to be underwater, um, holding your breath, um, building up that ability to, you know, breathe less is, um, you know, really beneficial for, for aerobic capacity and for, you know, being calm in the water. Yeah. I don't think this guy knows what he got himself into when he agreed to coach <laughs> me. Cause I mean, I had just run a half marathon and then four weeks later I get in the pool, swim 25 meters and thought I was going to die. Um, <laughs> so I was like, Oh boy, you got your work cut out for you. Yeah, that's a tough starting point. <laughs> so, P, you know, so present, you and your wife are, are doing some great things. Uh, you, you, you have the, uh, the health and performance coaching business. You've got the podcast. What are some of the other projects that, that you're in? What are some of the other things that, that, that the two of you guys are very excited about? Um, you know, what, what does the future hold for you guys? What are, what are some of the neat, exciting things that people that, hey, like myself, you know, it's been cool to... You know, see you throughout the years, you know, win that world championship and, and see the, the journey and the shift into, you know, learning mm. more about the human body and, and, and treating it right mentally and physically what it can do. So what, what's, what's new and what, what are you excited about for the future, Pete? Um, excited to be getting into some virtual conference space. So just sort of um, looking out for any that are coming up. I'm chatting to one uh, tomorrow to try and get on their, their list of speakers. So, you know, that virtual kind of endurance conferences or um, low-carb kind of conferences, that's the space where I really want to be able to impact people on a more practical level with this aerobic capacity kind of shift rather than just, just looking at food or just looking at, you know, the way that you train. Um, 
I'm excited as well. Main thing is working with the MAF company at the moment, MAF. So that stands for Maximum Aerobic Function. It's Dr. Phil Maffetone's company. Um, but he's got some people running it out of Australia, which is awesome because it makes it easy to connect with them. And we've got these webinars happening at the moment. So I've been able to chat on webinars through math with Mark Allen um, and Dr. Phil Maffetone and um, some other great guests. And so, you know, that's been really a, a good thing that's been happening lately. And there's three more of those to go. Um, and then what else excited about oh, producing an online course. So, you know, I'm basically just writing and writing and writing content to turn into videos to have an online video course so that, you know, all of the information in every aspect of nutrition, mindset, um, uh, you know, health performance and all the factors that go into it will all be in video form, in short video form, and people can just access the archive and just learn on every, any any particular topic that they want to learn. So that's the next thing. But, man, I'm writing and writing and there's so many topics. It's just like, especially mindset. I've been writing about mindset just now and, my God, there's so many layers to it. Trying to actually write it out is... It's like, oh, it's like being in a tornado. Just everything goes <laughs> round and round. <laughs> Trying to categorize things out. It's so difficult to categorize things when everything affects everything. Well, that sounds awesome. We definitely look forward to maybe checking yeah. that out at some point. And we definitely want to thank you for your time. Thank you for coming on with us today. We're going to wrap it here, but it's been awesome chatting with you. Um, again, you know, it, there's a lot to learn for all of us, um, for me, from a triathlon standpoint, for Kevin, how to deal with a prima donna athlete like me. And, uh, <laughs> and so I think this conversation has been very helpful. Yeah. So, so Pete, if, you know, for our listeners, where can they find that information as far as with the, the health and performance coaching, if they wanted to find you on social media, what's the best way for them to do so? Um, yeah, any social media is just Pete J Jacobs. So there's just Pete Jacobs with an extra J in the middle there. Um, yeah. And my focus is sort of spreading that information about, you know, energy production, efficiency and health and performance and how to increase energy is my main focus at the moment that I tend to share. So yeah, Instagram and, uh, Twitter are great, but a little bit on Facebook, but our podcast as well is, um, live your own fit or just type in LYF. It should come up or just type in my name, you know, uh, easy to find me there. And, and, um, yeah, that's, that's just another good avenue as well. But, um, Kevin, it sounds like you might just be going out to buy that book and, uh, you know, <laughs> well, I took notes. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I'm not absolutely. paying him, so he can he yeah. can pawn somebody else's oh, okay. work off. Yeah, it's a handshake oh, agreement deal. Well, so I mean, I guess I'm... knowing this guy for 25 years, I'll give him a discount. But uh, yeah, I thought maybe I'd put you out of a job, and uh, Gray was just going to go buy the book. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not. So again, Pete, it's been a pleasure. Looking forward to you know to to watching you know the, the podcast been learning a lot as well um so again great want to send us off yeah guys thank you so much uh, if you guys want to check out us on social media we are at two dads run podcast on instagram facebook and youtube uh please subscribe five stars only and uh, we'll see you guys next week bye everyone